I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Pallavi Thakur, Director for CBDC and Interoperability at SWIFT. CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency. Is there, first of all, Pallavi, an inevitability that we are going to move to see CBDCs commonplace in the next few years? My short answer is definitely yes. It will be a slow process. So I don't believe that we will see CBDCs going live, let's say, another 6 to 12 months. But it's a journey. Next to three to five years, we will definitely see CBDCs going into production in many countries across the globe. What advantages do they confer? The way to see this one is that every country has their own objective of implementing CBDC. So let's start with countries who don't really have financial market infrastructure or for that matter, any payment systems. So for them, it's about leap into the future. So they're looking to actually implement CBDC as the new payment system. Now, there are other countries who have more, let's say, interest in improving their financial inclusion, you know, uh, fortifying their payment systems and things like that, like most of these emerging countries. So for them, the objective is completely different. Let's take the G7 nations. Now, for G7 nations, they most of them have pretty solid payment systems. Now, for them, the objective would be very different. And, and you know, let's say because, because um, at SWIFT and, you know, cross-border payments is our bread and butter, I personally feel that for G7 nations, the driver would be cross-border payments and more around wholesale cross-border payments, which would be the driver. So there isn't any one answer to say why CBDC. It would be very different for different countries. And the time to production would, again, be very different for different countries. How would it actually change how banks operate? People do ask me that. Do you think banks will be disintermediated? And my short answer is no, they won't. If I have to really see the implementations which is being carried on across the globe, or or, or for that matter, you know, the way in which central banks are looking to implement CBDC, it is definitely in the two-tier structure in which the current financial system works, with, let's say, the central bank being the apex bank, which will be issuing CBDC. And then you will have the commercial banks, which is the second layer, distributing CBDCs. Now, having said that, this doesn't mean that, you know, the banks can really sit and say, oh, fine, you know, I I don't have to do that. But that isn't the case. The banks will have to now evolve, move forward and change themselves if they want to be really relevant, because that is the place where the competition is. You know, it's not only from CBDC. I mean, today, uh, banks have real threat from digital bankings and fintechs and, you know, uh, third party payment providers. And that has nothing to do with CBDC. So the point is, like, if you really see, it would be a two tier structure, which is the central bank issuing digital currency. And then the second tier, the banks will have to evolve. There will be certain banks which will come up with new products and services because that's the new model that they will be. There will be certain banks which will lose their share if they don't move quickly to, let's say, the fintechs and the payment service providers of the world. I'm going to be a little mischievous now because I'm going to <laughs> quote to you something that, that I've said in the past and that other people have, to an extent, agreed with me on. 
and that is that the concept of a CBDC is a solution in search of a problem. You're not the first one. There are a lot of people who do believe, but I am a diehard fan of CBDC, and I would say, no, that isn't the case. The way I see CBDC is the digital form of central bank money. It is an evolution of money. I don't see CBDC as a just another project for a central bank or just another payment system for a central bank. CBDC is the evolution of money. And if I may just go back to history, people started with the barter system where people would, you know, give you cows and goats and grains and all of that. And from that evolution, then you came on to the coins, right? You know, the aluminum coins and silver coins and all of that. And then from that, the journey moved on to obviously gold and paper and plastic and then internet banking and all of that. So there's an evolution of money which has happened for hundreds of years. Now, CBDC, in my mind, is that evolution of money. It is the central bank's digital form of money. How do we make sure that the new form of money actually works very well or is compatible with the existing payment system? That's the task at hand. Now, that objective is very different, as I said, for different countries. Like, you know, let's take London, let's take UK, for example. You have faster payment systems, which where you I tap a card and payment works. Now, in UK, my objective, or for that matter, Central Bank's objective should be, how do we make sure that using the same Lloyd's card or a Barclays card, I'm still able to make payment in CBDC, and that money gets debited from my CBDC account and not a savings account, right? So it's about how do you integrate the new form of Central Bank money with existing payment systems, and how do you look at the newer use cases, And also, if I may add, the way that I see CBDC, it has to be designed as a public utility for social good. That's where, because it is a central bank's form of money, central bank's digital form of money. Surely we already have digital money, though. Yes, we do. So this adds just another layer. Are Are you saying that for the individual, I would have a bank account with money in it, I would have a CBDC account with CBDC in it, or should the two not come together? They should come together, absolutely. We have digital forms of money. Your commercial bank money in your bank is digital. From a consumer perspective, let's say, let's say, Robin, if you go and go to the local news agent and it says, well, under five pounds, I don't accept a debit card. Now, if you have a card, which which is, it could be the same Barclays card, which say, okay, fine, I'm going to pay you in a digital pound. The shopkeeper will happily accept it because it's, it's the digital form of cash. And you're only paying the digital form of cash using an instrument, which is given to you by Barclays. So that's the amalgamation which needs to happen with commercial banking, as in the digital form of commercial bank money, and the digital form of central bank money, which is nothing but digital cash. Okay, you're obviously an enthusiast. What are the challenges for SWIFT as an organization in all this? More than a challenge, I would say there's an opportunity for SWIFT. And the reason being is every central bank is looking to let's say, do something around CBDC based on, you know, their own technology choices and uh, monetary policy objectives. And the way we see is that there has been a lot of focus on domestic CBDC in the last three to five years. What's really happening now is that everybody is looking to implement CBDC on a different technology platform with different set of rules. They have different criteria around currency controls 
at Swift, we are sitting and staring at a world where you can actually see these multiple digital islands. In Swift, we call them digital islands because these are nothing but digital networks. Now, these digital networks, let's say, have their own set of rules, own criteria, own technology platform, own proprietary messages and all of that. And then we talk about globalization and cross-border payments. So how do you bring all these things together? That's the challenge. And that is leading to fragmentation. And it will lead to fragmentation. You know, I think we will see more fragmentation, let's say, in the next three to five years. Then it will take the likes of a SWIFT to bring everything together. And I keep repeating every time that SWIFT is like the kinsigu of bringing together all these digital islands because we have been in the business of cross-border payments for 50 years we have data collected over 50 years. We've got services, we've got products, we've got you know standardization of messages. Now, using all that infrastructure and all the intelligence that we have, I think that we are best positioned to bring together and connect these digital islands in the same way that we've done for the last 50 years to facilitate an instant frictionless cross-border payments in CBDC. It's more, more of an opportunity I see than, than a challenge for SWIFT. Well, there are two groups, very roughly, that I see involved in this. On one side are the central banks and the banks, and it's making that relationship work between the central bank and the commercial bank. And on the other side of the coin, you have the consumer. Now, that consumer is either the individual that you were talking about earlier, or it's a corporate. Both will be concerned about domestic payments. Both, although obviously corporates to a greater extent, will be concerned about cross-border payments. What we have to do is make sure every single payment, no matter how large or small, works. Yes, This is a huge task. It is, and I completely agree with you. And that's why... That's why as part of my work at SWIFT and even as part of my previous work in my previous organization, my continuous focus is that you cannot look at CBDC in isolation. You cannot just look at CBDC as central bank issuing just something as a product or, or just under pressure of doing something. At the same time, you can't just talk about CBDC working only for, let's say, the distribution layer, which is you know the banking or the payment service provider. CBDC needs to be design, architected, keeping the end consumers and corporates in mind. When you look at the entire three-tier or the two-tier ecosystem with central bank, commercial banks, and then your corporates and individuals, that's when you have to really design a system which says, okay, if I'm issuing a payment, it does not matter whether it's it's for a pound or it's for a 10 million pound, right? It should still work. And that is where SWIFT comes in. SWIFT says the value of payment does not matter in who is initiating the payment. It could be a mobile banking app. It could be a relationship manager for a corporate initiating a payment, right? So your payment initiation does not matter for us as long as we have to make sure we accept that cross-border payment and then send it to the right network, whether it is CBDC network or whether it goes to an RTGS network. That's what we are trying to do. Going back to your point, making sure every payment reaches its destination. Which brings me to a final point, and that is the issue of security. The increasing complexity of the digital payments world is great. It's reducing cost, it's speeding up payments, but it's also increased the attack surface. 
Is this not also going to be a problem with the CBDC? Yes, but that's something which exists today. All these threat vectors are there even for your commercial banking payment systems and also that that's something which is not new. We have to work towards it, but then I'm I'm sure I'm not a security expert. I'm sure there are security experts who are actually thinking of how you can make, let's say, a domestic network safe. Within a domestic network, how can you make a payment safe? Within a payment, how do you, and now with, let's say, data uh, encryption technologies coming in, how within a data, the data element, as in within a payment, a data elements are safe. Now, these are the things which, I'm sure the security architects are already thinking about, but this is not a new challenge which has come because of CBDC. It's an existing challenge which the digital realm has to, you know, has to look and solve for. Palavi Thacker, Director for CBDC and Interoperability at SWIFT. Food for thought. Thank you very much.